to the Salty Republic. This is your host, Steven Jensen. Uh, I am starting something new. Uh, and this is this is a book that I'm currently writing. Uh, it is called The Guardian. And a lot of the experiences uh, that you're going to read about in this or that you're going to hear about, essentially, are legitimate experiences that that I have gone through in my life. Um, and so this is something new. It's, it's part of my new, um, like, self-improvement phase of my life. Um, I've started to learn a lot and, and really start to find myself again. And, and I mentally got, you know, weak, essentially. It's going through a very tough time. And so when I go through tough times, you know, I write, I write a lot and I love writing. And so I've started this, uh, two years ago. This was something that, that, you know, I just started writing and I love writing and I hope you guys enjoy it. So this is the first two chapters of my, at some point book, maybe called the guardian. Uh, this is a dedication uh, this is the dedication part of it. This book is dedicated to my beautiful daughter, Chloe. All my friends and family that have supported me through, through life. I would like to thank those that have sacrificed their lives every day in the pursuit of keeping our communities, states, and our nation's nation safe. This book is also dedicated to those that deal with post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, depression, and anxiety on a daily basis, fighting to stay alive each and every day. Just know that you are not alone and that there are several others that are experiencing the same thing. All right, so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that... I started writing. I hope you guys enjoyed. Eventually, I hope to actually make it uh, as a book on the Amazon uh, store. But I hope you enjoy it. Uh, like I said, a lot of these experiences are things that I experienced in real life. Um, and there's going to be a twist to it, most certainly. But uh, I just wanted to share this. This was something that... I was told that would really kind of, you know, help me, you know, release from from a lot of the feelings that I've been having as far as PTSD and, and writing about it, you know, will help me move on in my life. So uh, this is chapter one of The Guardian. It is called In Good Hands. Sirens blared and echoed off the concrete freeway underpass, underpasses as we were running hot to a reported victim with several gunshot wounds. The radio inside the ambulance was squelching every couple seconds to relay information to responding emergency personnel and officers trying to desperately get through rush hour. Just another night, eh, Max? yelled Alonzo over the blaring radio. <laughs> yes, indeed. Come on, people, get the hell out of the way, I ordered, as if the drivers in front of me could hear me with a raspy, deep southern draw accent. I gave a car we passed a middle finger salute, thanking him for being in our way. What a fucking asshole. We're trying to save lives here, and he wanted to play pace car, I thought. The freeway was at a virtual standstill. Alonzo swerved over to the shoulder of the highway and began driving past all the cars he could to get to the exit. It wasn't like we could just scream past cars on the shoulder of the highway at whatever speed we wanted. A lot of the times drivers would get impatient waiting to move just a quarter mile to get to the exit and would drive on the shoulder of the highway to get there even though it was highly illegal. We all know that. It was mid-November in Phoenix, Arizona, with a time at about 6.43 p.m., or 
you know, 20. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 18.43 p.m. It was already almost completely dark, but it was an absolute stunning sunset in the foreground. Beautiful golden orange colors faded on the horizon sky, and swirls of red and pink clouds highlighted just above the mountain peaks. Arizona did have some of the best sunsets I'd ever seen in my life, even though I'd been many places in the world. Arriving on the scene was a flood of people in the streets along with fire station paramedics, Phoenix police officers, and state patrol. On scene, police officers had to push people out of the way so we could get get our ambulance near the patient. It's like, come on, guys. I hopped out and flung open the side compartment door on the exterior of the ambulance and grabbed a backpack that had a vital signs machine and trauma gear attached to it. What do we have? You have a 48-year-old male with two gunshot wounds, one in the left bicep, one in the abdomen, explained the firefighter paramedic. The left bicep is bleeding pretty good. We have it controlled, but the abdomen shot is the worst. Quite possibly, hit an artery. Can't get the bleeding to stop, even with pressure. He doesn't have long, Max, the firefighter paramedic said, as we did a half-run walk towards the house. This is going to be ugly no matter what. The Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale was the closest trauma center that'd be able to rush the patient into immediate surgery and hopefully be able to repair the severed artery that was in case a reason for all the blood loss. Alonzo and I shimmied past all the emergency personnel huddled around the patient. Someone give me vitals, I commanded. BP 68 over 42 and dropping heart rate 52 and weak respirations or 10 out of bag valve while intubated. Trying to manage pressure in the abdominal wound that appears to be a, a aortic laceration from the gunshot. The firefighter paramedic had screamed. Watch out, somebody hand me some type of clamp. I'm going to attempt to stop this. As I rolled up my sleeves on my uniform, I was getting ready to swap with the firefighter still holding pressure. This is absolutely insane, what I'm about to do. But I'd rather try to save this person's life than watch them die, I thought. I reached into the patient with my gloved fingers and clamp, ready in the other hand. Bright red blood was spraying in all directions as my fingers slipped and slid over the atrial vessel trying to get a grip the best that I could to try and place the clamp. I can't get the clamp to hold the vessel. I'm going to have to hold it with my fingers, I screamed out loud. You're going to do what? You're going to hold it all the way to the hospital, Max? Asked Alonzo. Yes. Let's go. Bring two of the fire guys, two of the fire guys with us to help, help me in back. I said in a calm voice. I was trying not to show panic. The firefighters in Alonzo lifted the patient as easily as, as they could under the gurney so I wouldn't lose control of the aorta that was pinched between my left index finger and my thumb. I've seen crazy shit in my time as a paramedic, but never done anything like this. I could go on for days about the emergency calls Alonzo and I had been on. Every once in a great while, we'd get a unique call. They literally made everyone responding to call think... WTF. Use your imagination as to what that is the meaning of. Um, you'll figure it out eventually. The two firefighters in the back with me maintained the patient's airway and vitals as I just focused on trying to maintain control of the area and keeping blood loss at a minimum. Alonzo, hurry the fuck up. I can't hold this all night. I tried to yell over the loud sirens and radio chatter. I'm going as fast as I can, man. Just hold on. We're we're like three minutes out, Alonzo screamed. At that moment, three minutes felt like slow motion was never and was never going to end. I just focused on my grip and stared at the patient. This was nothing of ordinary day in the life of paramedic. Besides me having my hands inside a patient... Paramedics save lives every single day. Sometimes for ship pay and extremely long hours. We usually don't ask for anything in return. 
but we do appreciate free food and coffee from time to time just to make it through those long and chaotic days or nights. Most people in the medical field do this type of job because they enjoy helping people when they're at their worst. And that's no shit. I was pretty sure Alonzo drifted the ambulance around the corner leading to the emergency room. The back end of the rig had skidded and the tires squelched as the momentum of the turn shifted those of us in the back of the ambulance from one side to the other. Luckily, I'd braced myself enough that I didn't lose grip on the aorta. Within seconds, the back doors flew open to a mass of nurses and doctors waiting. I climbed on top of the patient while the firefighters had started to bring the gurney out. Easy, you assholes. We're too close to lose this, I demanded. I'd never seen so many medical people arrive for a patient that very likely wasn't going to make it out of surgery. Slowly, they wheeled us out of the ambulance and immediately rushed us into an elevator. I'm sorry, sir. You're going to have to be there and hold that until we can get ready in the OR, one of the surgeons had said. While I was willing to do whatever it takes to try and save this patient, I was not expecting to sit and hold the artery all the way into surgery. I could feel my fingers starting to cramp from being held in one position for so long. You're doing great, sir. Just a couple more minutes. The nurse on my left side said. The elevator doors opened behind me and opened up and were led straight into an operating room. Several surgeons were already gowned up and ready to go. There was a whole team ready to do their specific job as soon as the lead surgeon said go. There's this had intravenous catheters ready to start a blood transfusion and another nurse was ready to start an IV on the other side of the patient's arm to push medication through. It was a well-oiled but chaotic machine. I'd never had an opportunity to see what the operating room staff do just because when I went into surgery I was usually sedated heavily and then out like a light bulb. The room was massive, with several machines ready to be used at any moment. The operating room surgical tech had three large tables that had displayed what I assumed was every surgical instrument a surgeon would need in a case like this. The operating room was supposed to be a sterile room that limited the chance of infection while surgeons were operating on open patients. But I was the least sterile person in the room with all the blood all over me while I had, while I held my hand inside that person. Okay, sir, we're going to need you to cut your sleeves on your shirt and scrub you with some chlorhexidine. It's used to clean you and the patient. Think of it as like a high-powered disinfectant, explained one of the surgeons as I began cutting my shirt sleeves off. I know what chlorhexidine is, sir, I said sarcastically. I was a paramedic, not a first year. Never seen any, any medical student. Never seen anything a medical student has, essentially. We used it all the time to start IVs on patients. Surgeons scrubbing my arms with a soft tipped-like brush turned my arms a soapy orange color. And I took a towel and, and, and wiped it off. The anesthesiologist placed a blue cap on my head, tied a mask around my face. I felt like a real surgeon sitting there. I could see movement in my peripheral vision just above me. And when I looked up, I saw a room filled with doctors and nurses and people in suits. It was a gallery for people to watch surgeries. And I imagine it was used as some type of learning tool for medical students. All right, Max, we're going to start. We're going to cut this patient open, working around you. Just try to maintain a hold of that artery until we get it clamped. You're doing great. You'll be famous once this is over. <laughs> The lead surgeon stated as he begins to make the incision on the abdomen. I closed my eyes. Just listened to the surgeons talk to each other and tried to relax the best that I could. I was exhausted. I could have easily fallen asleep. I was going on, 60, on a 16-hour shift. Really, it was like 19 hours awake. 
because I don't sleep well anyway. It was finally taking a toll on my endurance. Time felt like it was standing still, and the sound in the room began to become muffled. The team of surgeons was working diligently to hold the aorta. Prep me a clamp, three old silk, three o silk, sorry, sutures, please, one of the surgeons had demanded. The smell of flesh burning is one that can make you nauseous instantly. Especially if you've never smelled it before. And that's no joke. I was used to it for the most part. Just responding, just from responding to emergencies. But it'd been quite some time since the last time I had a burn patient. I tried to ignore it the best that I could. Max, you can release your hand in three, two, one, go. The lead surgeon had stated. Pulled my hand out, slowly got down from the table on the patient. It was like a ballet after I cleared the patient. The rest of the surgeons moved forward, and they just started doing what they do best, saving patients' lives. I stood there with blood all over my hands, wrists, all over my uniform. I felt exhausted, but relieved. Hungry more than anything, craving some fucking coffee. I stepped out of the operating room and in the scrub room, washing my hands and face. I've only had 10 minutes of peace. Alonzo was waiting for me in the ES- EMS lounge, along with a dozen other EMS and fire station members. And all I really wanted to do was to go home and sleep. The lounge was for EMS, emergency medical services people, and fire personnel to write their patient reports for the incident and the patient they had delivered to the emergency room. Thank God our station used a small portable laptop to type type those things out and click some boxes. Some EMS and fire personnel still had to fill out reports by pen and paper, like back in the old days before computers which consumed a lot of your time. My writing was barely legible most of the time, and I jumped for joy when we were told the station was finally switching over to a computer platform. I figured my report would be at least four or five pages long, and either way, it was going to take me at least an hour or two to click on the boxes and type everything in. There is the man of the hour, Mr. Max Adams. Alonzo proclaimed as as if he was some sort of personal and professional announcer at a ball game. There was a thunderous cheer, claps, and handshakes from everyone in the room. I was beginning to become delirious from sleep deprivation and honestly only consumed half of what was going on because I'm pretty sure I was still asleep. Max, you know you're famous, right? Alonzo asked as I continued to look around dazed and shake hands with anyone and pretty much everyone. What are you talking about? I questioned. Max, that man you just saved is Arthur Williams. Arthur Williams? I asked confused. The richest man in the world? CEO of the largest e-commerce company in the world? Willow.com? Alonzo asked. Yeah, sure. I said as I crashed into the couch in the lounge, hoping for just an hour to myself and to shut my eyes and go to sleep. Little did I know Alonzo was telling the truth. Arthur Williams was, in fact, the richest man in the world with a net worth of $116 billion. Arthur Williams was so rich... How rich was he? He was worth more money than foreign countries. He started Willow as just an e-commerce website for small businesses that specialized in custom-made items like furniture, signage, arts, and crafts, t-shirts, and wholesale distributors to sell a mass quantity of items. He basically formed a logistics company for small businesses in which he would send a truck around the country to pick up 
items from businesses and take them to the warehouse he bought and then send them to the customers that bought the item from his website. He'd charge a small convenience fee to businesses to pick up those items and they absolutely loved it. When it came time to send out, you know, large, heavy items. Once Willow.com started picking up steam and popularity, it exploded. You could buy anything on Willow. And depending on your location, you would have it either the same day or within two days. Alonzo had a bunch of people around him as he was trying to get me some space to mentally recharge myself. It was turning people away that wanted to speak with me. I was so exhausted. I closed my eyes and just breathed a sign of relief. All I could think about was how nice my king-size bed was going to feel with my best friend Raptor curled up next to me. Raptor was a one-year-old Belgian Malinois that I absolutely adored. How did Raptor get his name? Part of it's from, you know, an online meme that I saw one day that compared a Velociraptor dinosaur and a Belgian Malinois together. They were pretty much spot on. Raptor was speedy, but also destructive. He was highly protective of the house, and if he didn't like you, he would let you know just by being highly aggressive, barking, and snarling from inside his kennel. Don't get me wrong, there were definitely days where he drove me up the wall, but I love that pup to no end. Raptor is the kind of dog that needed constant entertainment or his curiosity. would come out and and you know destroy everything in sight i try to take him for a run at least you know twice a week to get that that energy out of him and it would usually work he loved when we would go on runs i would try to have contests with him to see who was the fastest that dog That dog could sprint past me without a phase in his endurance. I'd usually spoil him two or three times a week by grilling two ribeye steaks. When he saw those steaks, he'd follow me over to the grill, sit, and just lick his chops, waiting for them to be completed. Hey, Max, wake up, Alonzo said as he shook me. How long was I out for, I questioned. About 25 minutes is all. Public relations and police officers cleared the room out for you, Alonzo confessed. I groaned as I sat up with my bones cracking and my body just feeling sore. Working on an ambulance, it's hard on the body and the joints just from picking up and carrying patients on a daily basis. It'll age your body and mind quickly if you don't work out and stretch in your off time. I rub my face and eyes to try to get the sleepiness out and wake up from my slumber. When I looked up from the floor, sitting on the table was a cup of coffee. Thank you, Alonzo, I thought. I took a couple of sips to get that warm sensation in my body, give me a boost to get me up and back to go back to work. I finished most of the report for you, Max. All you have to do is type out the narrative and sign it, Alonzo said. Thank you, sir, I replied. It's the least I could do for you since, you know, you're famous now. Alonzo snickered back at me. Shut up, I'm not famous. Nor will I ever be. I don't need that craziness in my life. I said, getting up from the table and walking over to the refrigerator. The refrigerator in the ER... EMS room was constantly stocked with sandwiches, cheese, yogurt, water, soda, you name it. There was even some fruit in there. Most hospitals in the greater Phoenix area had awesome food for the EMS. It was an easy grab and go food during the day when we were usually our busiest. Thank you to whoever thought of EMS crews as we're usually looked down on versus, you know, being appreciated. 
I tried to have a healthy conscience when it came to eating food as a first responder. I'd pick up anything that had a good source of protein, like chicken salad sandwiches, boiled eggs, protein bars. If they had them, that was my go-to. But it was usually peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. No joke. I was finally getting to get some food in my stomach as, it, as I was getting jittery from the low blood sugar. Thank God for a back door to the EMS room and the police escort back to our rig so we could get back to work. Last thing I wanted to deal with was reporters asking a bunch of questions, lights blinding the hell out of me. When Alonzo called us back in service, it was almost 10.45 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. 22.45 military time. It was going to be a 35-minute drive back to the station. Hopefully, it was going to be relatively quiet. I just gazed out the window of all the passing cars and the city lights, wondering what was next in life. I was happy saving people's lives every day. It gave me great satisfaction, but I... Felt like I was missing something in my life. Alonzo finally broke the silence. Max, can I ask you a question? Sure, anything, anytime. He paused for a moment, almost hesitant to ask. How do you deal with everything you've been through every single day? Alonzo asked. I paused for a moment just to gather what I was going to say. It is a struggle every single day, but I treat every day as a new day. I try not to think about it much, honestly, uh, even though it's extremely fucking hard sometimes, I stated. You know you can talk to me anytime, right? Alonzo stated and questioned, yeah, man, I know. I said almost in a condescending but understanding way. Once you've been through life-altering events, people always say that you can talk to them anytime you need. The problem for me was that I was honestly felt like most people didn't really care. That they just wanted to feel good afterwards. Sure, there are people that truly cared. But you know, after... You've talked about shit enough times. Whether that person was truly sincere or not, who knows. Max, can you do something for me? Alonzo question. Sure, man, name it. I said. I'd like to hear your story one day. We can make it just you and I in the backyard with a couple drinks. Alonzo said. I can do that, shaking my head. It won't be easy for me. There'll be some silence, and I can't promise you that I won't cry. I said in a serious tone. You have no idea how much that means to me, Max. Alonzo said sincerely. I don't talk about it much, if ever, honestly, because it's incredibly hard at times. And the stories I'm going to tell you may shock you incredibly. I said... Honestly, Max, the fact that you're willing even to tell me that I may be one of just a handful of people that you ever told makes me incredibly grateful, Alonzo said passionately. Let's go home, Alonzo. Chapter 2, Till Valhalla. I hope you guys are enjoying this. Uh, I'm just going with the flow. Um, like I said, a book that I've been working on and, and really enjoying, and I hope you guys do too. I, I've learned a lot about myself, uh, you know, over the past couple weeks, the past week and learning, um, you know, learning a lot of things. But I'll, I'll get into that uh, towards the end here, chapter two. Uh, what you're about to hear, this was a real event that actually happened. Um, this is <laughs> uh, almost damn near word for word uh, what it, what this chapter is about. 
it's a short it's a shorter chapter but um this was a real event this is one that has has really gotten me a lot over the past uh you know 13 years now and um this is this is a first-hand experience this is real life uh the names obviously have changed but but the experience is is legitimately for real so uh what i hope you guys enjoy it chapter two till valhalla i had a weekend off for the first time in two months my internal body clock apparently said wake up any person that works you know shift work can legitimately tell you how hard it is to sleep once your body becomes that just particular sleep schedule or pattern sometimes you know you'll be off and don't set the alarm you'll wake up thinking you're late for work one night in my younger years i was working a night shift woke up at 6 30 in the morning thinking i was super late for work as the sunrise almost made it appear as if it was turning into the evening I threw my clothes on, ran in my car, only did I realize after checking my phone that it was actually morning. Raptor made his way up to my face to lick me good morning, wagged his tail and stretched out. Thank you, Raptor. I needed an extra good morning kiss to get me going. I opened the back door and Raptor sped out the door to find a spot to relieve himself. At 7 a.m., the, the sun slowly starts to peer over the top of those mountains with a pleasant coolness in the air. There's nothing like it. I rub my eyes to try to wake up a little bit. Raptor came running over with a tennis ball for me to throw. I taught him to sit and wait next to me until I told him he could go get that ball. I swear, Melanoise... You know, Belgian Malinois, they have this inherent need to want and to chase things whenever they can. A hundred percent. Raptor would have me laughing a lot. Because I could see it in his eyes that every time I made him wait to get the ball, it was almost as if he was begging to say go. He was highly protective of me. He usually loved people petting him. Highly social. Still, if there was someone he didn't like, Raptor would let me know. By getting into aggressive stance, barking a little bit, and just following that person like a hawk, waiting for them to do something that he thought might harm me. Raptor was a great dog, and I loved him to death. After playing with Raptor for a bit, we went inside so I could make a quick breakfast before heading into heading to Alonzo's house for the day. A whiskey drinking, grilling football, and having to tell my fucking story. It was so nice outside, and I'd fired up the grill in the patio, turned on the TV, pulled out some eggs and chorizo. And green bell peppers to make an excellent breakfast. Raptor just sat next to me at the grill the entire time. Staring at me with his adorable face and eyes. Just begging for chorizo. Instead, I threw a little piece of chicken on the grill for him to eat breakfast together. We chilled out on the patio furniture eating breakfast. Watching a home building show. And enjoying the fantastic weather that Phoenix was having. I placed the leash on Raptor. We hopped in the truck and head over to Alonzo's house. Raptor loved truck rides. Because he'd just hang out the windows. Moving window to window like he was in heaven. Watching him move back and forth in my mirrors. To see what the world had to offer was funny and it was always funny Alonzo's house was about a 20 minute drive from where I lived located in Litchfield Park Arizona 
Alonzo and his wife had brought a brand new home there just a couple months ago, which was gorgeous. I was jealous because it was spacious with rustic hardwood floors and had a perfect blend of country and modern design. Alonzo's wife was an interior designer and ran her own business. Some of the homes she had designed were magnificent and elegant. Max! Hey, buddy, welcome. Alonzo greeted us. He had a German Shepherd puppy about eight months old. And Raptor darted once Thor opened to go play with Thor. <laughs> Let us just hope they wear themselves out, I said. That is no joke, Alonzo replied, laughing. I loved Alonzo's spacious backyard with a beautiful pool and barbecue area. Even the patio had wood-like tile floors, a 65-inch TV, patio furniture that rivaled most indoor living room furniture, with a rustic-looking bar filled to the max with everything you could think of alcohol-wise. Dude, Alonzo, <laughs> this is awesome. I love this. Yeah, man. We worked hard, saved like no other to get our dream house. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Alonzo proclaimed laughing. Do you want a beer or a drink? Yes, sir. I'll take a nice whiskey with a splash of coke, I said. Done, my good dude. Alonzo poured some double barrel aged whiskey into a Yeti thermal insulated glass with three whiskey stones and handed it to me. Here you go, sir. Sit, hang out, get comfy. Alonzo said almost naturally. Have you seen the news today, Max? Alonzo questioned, no, sir. Try not to watch the news too much. Everything is so political today. And honestly, will only hurt my head from how dumb everything has become these days. I said back, shaking my head in disbelief. Yeah. Everyone wants to know who saved Arthur Williams, Alonzo said. Well, we did it, not I, I said commanding. It will always be us, never I. You're just as important as I am. Hell, the emergency room docs and surgeons will get more credit than, than we ever will. I said laughing. Alonzo laughed, nodded in agreement. I was humble. I would never take all the credit for something that required an entire team. Something I learned significantly in the military. Every person on your team had just as an important job in the mission as I did. Do you want to talk about your experiences, Mac? Max? Alonzo asked softly. Yeah, man. I nodded my head. I'll start with the big one first. I looked down at my glass of whiskey, took a deep breath, sighed, and peered out to see if Raptor was around. It was about to be tough. Afghanistan, August 2011. The blades of the Chinook pierced the arid mountains, mountainous valleys could be heard easily for miles. Everyone, including the Taliban, knew when it was flying, making it a dangerous aircraft. As we got closer to the Ford operating base, the rear loading lamp, loading ramp, started to come down and I peered out in the landscape I was going to call home for, for the year at least yes nervous as hell you could even say that I was fucking scared but you never showed it I gritted my teeth and just slowly breathed in and out one in and two out Three in and four out. Nice and easy. You learn box breathing techniques to calm the nerves. That's something that you still learn today. It keeps yourself under control when the stress is high. 
I knew it while attending dive school and had to be launched out of a torpedo tube in a submarine. If you were attached to a Navy SEAL team and had to do a water infiltration several miles offshore. Missile tubes are not for the claustrophobic. You'd be lying on your stomach, pitch black tube, waiting for blast off. One in and two out. Three in and four out. Dust filled the cargo area of the Chinook, and we started our final descent in the small airfield, with the valleys becoming more prominent. The FOB, Ford Operating Base, began to come into view with filled with sand-filled HESCO barriers and an M249 squad automatic weapon guard towers. Now, if you don't know what HESCO barriers are, it's like a cardboard box, essentially, that you can unfold that has wire around it, and you fill it with rocks or sand. That's what a HESCO barrier is. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have really seen them in movies, um, other stuff like that. But if you see the, 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 the aluminum or steel wire that's around them, those are HESCO barriers, most likely. I prepped my ruck with my equipment waiting for the loadmaster to ensure I was cleared to walk down the ramp. Once I cleared the ramp, there was a bearded, stocky man with his hands in his pockets next to a tan utility vehicle waving me over. Hey, Air Force. Over here, you blue falcon bitch. We usually don't take your kind, but I had no choice, the man said. If you don't know what a blue falcon is, uh, look it up for a good laugh. Each branch of the military uh, always gave each other shit about who was the best and who was more critical to the mission. Always. Go fuck yourself, Williams. I tried to yell back over the sound of the Chinook blades whopping through the air. Just by a stroke of luck, Williams was my best friend from our early indoctrination course days. Transferred over to the Army after suffering an ACL tear early in the course. I figured they wouldn't let your dumb ass in the Army. Sent you to the Coast Guard. I laughed hysterically. Fuck you, Williams bellowed out. We hugged each other as, as it was good to see somebody that I knew. I was attached to an Army Operational Detachment Alpha, ODA, or what most people knew as Army Special Forces. They needed another medic as their 18 Delta was injured. 18 Delta, that's their, that's a Special Forces medic. And, and I was flown in from Bagram Air Base. You took me around the fob. He took me around the fob, showing me the tactical operations center, the talk, the chow hall, weight room, and the medical building to meet the Ford surgical team. When I wasn't going out on mission, I could go over and help the surgery team if I wanted to. I was obsessed with medicine. Some called it an unhealthy obsession. I called it being informed and well-versed. I wanted to know if there was something new to learn about treatment and medicine. We headed back to our compound and met the rest of the team and sat, and I sat in on a mission brief. I was eager to go and nothing like getting those, those deployment jitters, your first deployment jitters out by going out on a mission. Sorry, Max, you have to sit this one out tonight. Need a couple days to adjust the altitude, Major Evans said. Fuck, I thought. Standard protocol is expected when you rise from lower altitudes. Is primarily, you know, going from 4,000 feet to 9,000 feet. You will suck the wind and fall out pretty quickly. It's okay, Air Force. You'll get your chance. William snickered at me. Yeah, yeah, I said uninter uninterested. We 
went outside to sit around a little bonfire that had been started. And one of the other team guys handed me a cigar. It was a team tradition to smoke a cigar before a mission. A one last time with the guys in case things went south. It was the first time I'd ever smoked a cigar, which it wasn't bad. These guys had full-blown humidors with as many as 25 or 30 different cigars from around the world. I smoked a mint coffee-infused cigar that was just as smooth as good-tasting bourbon. And I mean fucking smooth. The guys around the fire told jokes and the no shit there I was stories, just like we all probably had done at some point around a bonfire in our lives. The great thing about being on a blacked out fob in Afghanistan at night was the vast number of stars you could see and you could get lost in the night sky quite easily. We finished our cigars and they started prepping while I went to my six six by four foot room. I stepped outside one last time to fist bump the guys and saw them on their way. As their vehicle lights faded down the hill, I looked again at the stars. May the Valkyries protect you, I thought. I rose from my slumber and reached over to grab my phone to see what time it was. 04.55. Shit. Felt so much later than that, I thought. My phone didn't have service being 7,000 miles from home. But we did have internet access on a secure network set up by our communication guys. Communication guys, best friends, especially when you, you know... You need internet access. Just saying. It was nice. Considering that I could still chat with my family and friends back home when I had time. I figured I'd start my day with a shower since it's been almost two days. uh, Without one. While waiting at Bagram. Uh, I just hoped for a warm shower. You know, being isolated high in the in the mountains of Afghanistan with barely any existing infrastructure built. I figured I'd be taking camping showers through a bag and hose. We've all been there. Surprisingly, we had running hot water. Fuck yes! That shower made me appreciate how great we had it in the United States. Max, get to the surgical building now, someone yelled, swinging the door wide open. (laughs) Oh, fuck. It's go time. This is what I've been trained to do, I thought. I threw on my uniform and boots as fast as possible, sprinted back to my hut to throw my stuff into the bed and raced to the surgical team. I could hear the Blackhawk in the airfield that had just landed. As I turned the corner go in the back door of the surgical building saw one of my teammates waiting outside the front door of the medical facility he looked rough as if he hadn't slept in as many days his facial expression almost told the story as I pushed open the back door this would not be good I turned the corner of the back bay to see a whole bunch of people around someone lying on a medical gurney, cutting a vest and starting chest compressions. But I could not see who it was. People were all over the place, watching, with commands being yelled out for an intravenous infusion, blood infusion products, and to prep the operating room. As I stepped closer, I saw who the man was. It was Williams. My heart sank into my stomach as if I had been punched so fucking hard that I wanted to vomit. 
The adrenaline mean was so high that my heart was about to explode on my chest. I pushed one of the surgical techs aside to begin doing chest compressions. I wasn't going to let Williams die on my fucking watch. There was a large fist-sized hole on the left side of his sternum, blood oozing out with each compression I took. I focused on each compression, pushing harder. I wanted his fucking heart to start. Someone get the internal paddles. We'll try to start his heart, one of the surgeons yelled. They hook up to the paddles and place them inside his chest cavity onto his heart. Everyone clear? Boom. William's body lifted. His 250 joules of electricity hit his heart. Nothing. Again! Once again. Nothing. Someone please try to do an internal massage and I'll count for you, the surgeon commanded. I rushed to the other side of Williams and put my hands around his heart to manually pump his heart back to life. For what seemed like hours ended up being about 50 minutes. Nothing. I continued squeezing his heart. Max, stop. He's gone. The surgeon said. I stopped and looked at William's face for the first time during the entire attempt to revive him. His face was dirty, pale in color, his eyes closed. I stared at him, thoughts racing faster than my brain could comprehend. Time of death, 0653, someone proclaimed. Max, you can take your hands out, the surgeon said. I released my grip around his heart and slowly lifted my hands from his chest. I was covered in blood. My uniform, my boots, arms. I just stood there staring. I was in shock. My first loss. My best friend. Only four days into my first deployment. One of the surgical nurses led me away to the sink to wash my hands and arms. Everything was in slow motion, even though it was in real time. They cleaned up Williams a little bit, placing him in a black body bag on the cot. Picked him up, placed him in a bag. Sergeant Cortez came over to hug me. I didn't move. I just stared at that bag. Do you want to place a flag? Sergeant Cortez asked. I shook my head yes and didn't say a word. I had no expression. Just shock. I placed the flag at William's head and stepped back. The black hot that brought Williams was still running and they were preparing to send him back to Bagram Air Base. They were ready. And everyone got prepared to salute and honor him. It was always tradition to honor those that had given their lives. Everyone made a tunnel and began to salute as William's body came out of the medical building. I stood at attention and saluted until the Blackhawk had finally lifted off. Until Valhalla, my friend. Max, holy shit. Alonzo said. I glanced at my freshly poured bourbon and saw where Raptor was. 
Raptor and Thor were still chasing each other around the yard like like a bunch of little kids high on sugar. I swear, those dogs never lose energy. Yeah, man. I paused for a moment. Then I told a good friend one of my deepest secrets. Talking about my deployments is a challenging experience. Especially for someone like myself um, that had to see so much trauma and loss. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Just that, man. You know you'll always have someone you can just let loose to if you need to. Alonzo said sincerely. I don't know how you do it every day. I'd be a wreck if it happened to me, said Alonzo. It's one of those things people will never understand until you experience it. Words describing are impossible at times, I said taking a sip of bourbon. Raptor came running over, tail wagging, jumped on my lap to lick my face and say hello. I think Raptor knew what I just told Alonzo and wanted to ensure that I was okay. I grabbed his head, scratched his ears, and he gave me another puppy kiss. <laughs> Alonzo fired up the grill as we were going to have stuffed tamales and stuffed peppers. Alonzo was a cook, no doubt. I should have honestly gone to culinary school instead of being a, a fucking paramedic. But he was just as passionate about helping people as I was. And I think that's why we were great teammates. We lived for the adrenaline and we were damn good at it. Several hours passed. And Alonzo and I had great conversations, lasted, laughed at almost everything. Raptor and Thor finally racked out next to each other at our feet. But I'm placing half the reason that they ate just as good as we did. So what's next, Max? What are you going to do next in life? Alonzo asked. Well, I'm not sure yet. I've been going to school to, you know, try to go to medical school and be a doctor one day, I said. No shit. That's awesome, man. How come you didn't tell me? Alonzo said with a puzzled look. It's been tough dealing with my PTSD and just working full time. I need a vacation to escape just for once and relax, I hesitantly said. probably haven't had a vacation in probably 10 years. I haven't had the time nor the money. Well, take a vacation for fuck's sake. Go to Mexico, sip some margaritas. Go to San Diego and surf, man. Catch some rays. A little vitamin D never hurts anybody. Alonzo said sarcastically. I had one more drink. Thanked Alonzo and his wife, his wife for the hospitality loaded up Raptor, and trekked back to Northern Phoenix. It was a lovely evening out as the sun started to disappear behind the mountains, and there was a very nice cool breeze. The sunset, spectacular as usual, with any type of Arizona sunset. I thought about a lot what Alonzo had said on the way home. I was content but not happy. I needed to find my happiness for once. And that is the end of chapter two. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, it's something that I've, you know, have written for a long time and a lot of the things that you're going to see 
or hear about probably in the book uh, is, is real life stuff that happened to me. And it's helping me heal from my PTSD and writing about it, telling you guys the story about it uh, is really propelling me forward and being a better person. And, you know, for the first time uh, in my life in, in the past 12, 13 years, I'm finding that happiness again. Uh, it's really great. It's it's almost euphoric, to say the least. I'm really finding it, and I'm finding that that just that energy, that fucking go get them energy that that I used to have, and and I'm finding that again. Um. And it brings me great happiness. So, hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, it's going to be on YouTube. As a matter of fact, I started placing things on YouTube. You guys can go over there and check it out on YouTube as well. Uh, thank you to Anchor uh, for hosting this. If you guys enjoyed it, please spread it. Uh, this is the first two chapters of my book, eventually, that I'm going to release. So, I hope you guys enjoyed it. But, I'm out of here. Enjoy your morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be listening from. Uh, you can check me out actually on the on YouTube at the Salty Republic. Uh, I'm gonna start putting my episodes up there as well, and um, I'm finding my happy place again. It feels really good. I'm not gonna lie. It feels really good. Have a great night, guys. Thank you.